0: But um, I seen it, and that was all I needed to see. And It is pure evil. And I want to tell you. I'm not going to tell you anything graphic about it. I'm just going to tell you the premise of it, and I want to show you where America's mindset is today. This is why, when you and I go out and preach the words of life, all they know is death. This is why, because their mind and their brain is consumed with death. The glorification. Of I am faith. seeing something on the screen and repulsed by. It. I am sitting there dreading another needle in the eyeball. I am dreading another incision across the scalp and the peeling back of the scalp. That's dread. That is not horror. And that's not entertainment. The stress of some of the Hollywood writers is simply appalling. The uh, Night of the Living Dead, you know, the chainsaw massive, this horrible stuff, the blood and gore. You, you don't want to focus in your life on that because it you. You have horror movies and wicked movies in your home, those are gateways to Satan. Horror, So how you guys, like that. Now we can actually play sound down the pipe live.
1: It's pretty yeah, good. very fun. It's
0: kind of different, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a different. little different. Everyone's intimidated by the intro and doesn't want to talk <laughs> over it. What a wonderful experiment that was. Welcome to the 47th episode of the Horror Explorer podcast. This is a podcast, The term to turn people on to horror movies that they might have never seen or even heard of. We like to focus on 80s horror that most younger horror fans aren't aware of, and some of the more obscure or unusual horror movies that have come out since. My name is Mike. I'm the host. And I've also got three younger people here. These are my co-hosts. We have Jordan. Hi, guys. Nice to see you again. And from Australia, we have Alicia.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: And in Chicago, Critical Dave. Hello, what's
2: up? Well, what's up? Nothing much, actually. But I think I'll talk about just what I've been doing the past few weeks, I suppose. That like, smooth transition. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so seamless.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's just seamless. It's so seamless. You can, can't can even see the sea. C- oh, geez.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, anyways, Dave has been doing something interesting over at Northwestern University, and uh, I want him to talk about it because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, so what
2: I've been doing is the type of movies that we watch on our the podcast, I'm trying to expose a larger group to them. So within my dorm, I've been hosting screenings of various obscure horror films. For example, Cannibal Holocaust, a Serbian film, even though it's not as obscure, it's more extreme. Stuff that people either haven't heard of or they won't seek out because it's too extreme. So that's what I've been doing. And I've had Decent turnout, for example, for The Thing, which a surprising number of film students had not seen, I got about 12, 13 people, aside from myself. For Campbell Holocaust, I got about five other people. And it's been a mix, a good mix. It's always been at least me and two others.
0: So uh, how do you do this exactly? Is there like a set room for it? Do you have like a uh, yeah. really big screen TV or something? Yeah, there's a screening
2: room. So there's a projector, and it projects onto a white wall. And then you can
0: turn off the lights, and it's basically a movie theater. Cool, cool. Uh, is the proper movie theater uh, like protocol followed there? Like, do people shut the hell up and watch the movie?
2: Unfortunately not. For example, during the blood test scene in The Thing, the shot before the reveal of who The Thing is, somebody shouted out the name. Somebody who had seen the movie before shouted out the name of the person who was infected. And I was just like, oh, okay, I suppose you can do that.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's not cool. Yeah. What did everyone think about the movies? What was the thoughts on, like, a Serbian film? uh, General
2: consensus, I got one person walked out of a Serbian film and (laughs) one person walked out of Cannibal Holocaust. So there have been walkouts in most of the screenings, but everybody's been generally okay with the movies like they've all been interesting and i've had a lot of people who will come to multiple of the screenings so i suppose it's a
0: success so far yeah has anyone been like you know like oh my god i've never seen this before and this is just like the best movie i've ever seen thank you so much uh let me i don't know not not really not to that extent no life-changing event uh
2: well, one of my friends I showed the thing to yesterday, actually, and it turns out like, he loved it, so I'm going to do a screening of it with him at some point. This is separate. Is, from it really
0: my, a, is this name. really a screening when it's just you and some guy? No. is that closer to like a date?
2: No, no, <laughs> because
0: what I do is I post
2: on Facebook and then a larger number of people show up. But normally it's me and about two others who I'm like, hey, would you be interested in seeing this movie? And if they say yes, then I'll be like, okay. And I'll post on Facebook and gather a larger group. And these
0: have all been movies that you personally like?
2: No, no. These are just movies that are extreme or out of the mainstream.
0: Oh. Like, so you've 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 been showing them stuff you don't like? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like what? Like,
2: Cannibal Holocaust, I don't really like. And um, what else? The Greasy Strangler, which was okay, but I don't love it.
1: The Greasy Strangler? I haven't even heard of that. It sounds so good.
2: It's not. It's not. Don't worry. It's like if John Waters directed Eyes Wide Shut.
1: (laughs) Right. Okay.
2: That does sound kind of terrible.
1: Is the strangler legitimately greasy? Like, how does he make traction?
2: on What throats? he does is he gets naked and dips himself into a vat of grease and then runs around and strangles people. So it's fairly self-explanatory.
1: Pretty much right, if all, okay. If he's all greasy, <laughs>
3: how is he going to get a good grip on someone? I don't know. It, it does seem simple.
1: counterintuitive, doesn't it? It does. Be the dry strangler. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is this a newer movie, Dave? Is that what's going on there? Yeah, this movie came out in
2: twenty sixteen. Oh, well, normally I don't show so much of it. Yeah, normally I don't show movies that are so recent. Uh, but occasionally I also get requests. So occasionally people are like, Hey, I heard about this movie on this horror site. So will you screen it? And I'll be like, sure, whatever.
0: Cool, cool. So you're doing the Lord's work out there, exposing <laughs> these snot nosed brats to these movies. <laughs> Great job, Dave. <laughs> every every week I make these three guys or, you know, two guys and a girl. I make them watch one of those older, more obscure movies that most people their age haven't even seen or heard of. And it's usually something I like. I mean, not always, but that's what I'm gearing towards. Because the whole point of this podcast is to make younger horror fans aware that the best new horror movie that they see this year could be a movie from 30 years ago that they didn't even know existed.
3: Uh, This week, Mike had us watch The Burbs.
0: Got a problem with that? Jordan? (laughs) I know that it's like just a comedy, right? I mean, Dave was like, hey, this is listed as a thriller comedy. There was a lot of like horror comedies in the 80s and they go with different mixtures. Some of them were, you know, really horror with a little bit of comedy to cut the tension, like a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street series uh, sequels and maybe some of the child's plays and stuff like that are kind of like that, where they just kind of keep leaning more and more towards comedy because the horror is all used up. Uh, You get some that are just comedies built around horror elements And there's really nothing scary about it to begin with. You know, you got like Return of the Living Dead, where it's like the perfect blend of horror and comedy. And this one kind of stands by itself. It's, you know, again, calling it horror is kind of a stretch. But uh, none of these guys have ever seen it. And I really love it. So here we are. I hadn't even heard about it until you brought it up. Yeah, I didn't know it existed.
1: It was ringing bells for me. I think I've seen like bits on TV, but I've never like properly sat down. And
0: watch that yeah, game. this does get some – it gets some TV play for sure. But uh, what inspired me to do this is I had a similar experience uh, on Reddit. I mean some of the people who listen come from Reddit. Uh, there's a horror subreddit, and on there someone had asked, you know, we'll name some of the best horror comedies. And I'm going through this thread, and I'm like, where the fuck is The Burbs? These people don't know what The Burbs is. i, I got to do something about that. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, what is The Burbs about? It's about a group of neighbors that become suspicious of a creepy new family that has moved onto their street. There's like a mysterious disappearance and some strange activities that are happening at the the neighbor's house. And it kind of combines to fuel this suburban paranoia. And the neighbors violate all sorts of boundaries while they're trying to investigate the sinister lurking evil next door that they think is there. Is it real? Is it not? You know, that's what the movie's about. So Tom Hanks is in this movie. Are you guys familiar with Tom Hanks? Yes.
1: Just a bit.
3: Yeah, I grew up in the 90s. So, I mean, Tom Hanks is everywhere. Yeah.
1: Tom Hanks is you everything.
3: Know,
1: <laughs> he is like,
0: Yeah, there's no point in wasting time on what Tom Hanks has done. Everyone knows what he's done. Everyone knows who he is. But I bet you didn't know that Tom Hanks, like, he either urinates or there's references to urination in just about every movie he has ever made. I mean, it's even so far that it's even a plot device in the Green Mile because he has some kind of urinary tract infection or something.
1: What the hell? Do you think he insists on that? <laughs> Well, How that's does
2: that so he's must. must. He's like, that's part of his contract, you know.
1: Right, of course.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you look at his movies and you think of all the different times that he's taken a piss in his movies, you think there's got to be something up with that. That's like his gimmick.
1: Right. When does he like, piss like, in uh, this film?
0: You know, I don't know if you see him pissing in this film, but this was early on that. before he had that kind of power over right. his contract. But like Apollo thirteen, he pisses in that. Castaway, he pisses in that. The Green Mile, he pisses in. A League of His Own, he pisses in. And uh, what's the other one here? Forrest Gump. I gotta pay. It's yeah, that's true. It's. Yeah, it's really, it's crazy. I mean, you can go through his movies and there are more than what I have listed. So that's crazy. Uh, Another person that we don't really need to talk about is fucking Carrie Fisher. Now I try to keep the podcast kind of evergreen by not referencing like real world events and news articles and stuff like that. But like a week and a half ago, Carrie Fisher fucking died and it's been all over the news nonstop. Like it's the only fucking story on the planet. So I have Carrie Fisher fatigue. So I'm just skipping her. You know who she is. Uh, Bruce Dern is in this. It's a familiar name, and you might recognize him for parts he had in The Hateful Eight and da Django, or Django, however you want to pronounce it.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. Not from Django or those movies, but from being the dad of Laura Dern. Oh, I, I, yeah. I didn't know she had a dad who was
0: an actress. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs>
1: you
0: know, you didn't wait for me to finish my sentence. <laughs> I'm so used to you saying stuff that just doesn't make sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah. No,
0: Laura Dern's been in a ton of stuff. Like, she's
2: been in two Lynch movies, Wild at Heart and Blue Velvet. So that's why the name rang a bell for me.
0: Oh, yeah, you're big into the Lynch. I don't think I've seen either of those movies. Uh Corey Feldman's in this. You know, he's done some horror movies. He was big in the 80s. Goonies, Gremlins. He's in Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. I don't know what number that is. I think that's like five or something. And, of course, he's in The Lost Boys, obviously his most important movie. And uh, one other person I wanted to point out was Darla the dog. And uh, she plays Queenie the dog in this movie. And you might recognize this dog as the dog from uh, Silence of the Lambs. The little oh, owl.
1: shit.
0: Yeah. God.
1: That's amazing. That's a good little bit of film trivia. I would not, I would not yep, have known she plays, that.
0: She plays Precious. She's also in one of those stupid Batman movies, and she pay, plays a pink poodle in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which I almost vaguely remember that there being a pink poodle. So this was again like last week. This was directed by Joe Dante. Gremlins, Howling's, the Howling uh, Piranha, a couple of other movies, and mm-hmm. that's that with him.
2: But weirdly enough, this movie was not produced by Roger Corman, unlike the other Joe Dante films. Also, another notable crew member from this is this guy named Jerry Goldsmith. So Jerry Goldsmith is a name that we've seen like a billion times from movies on this podcast because he's done the film score for a huge number of things. He did Leviathan. He did Total Recall. He did Chinatown. He did Planet of the Apes. He did Poltergeist, he did Gremlins, he did Aliens, he did Rambo. He's done so much stuff. I am pretty sure he did Terminator 2. Let me check his IMDB page. Uh, But he's done so much stuff. He's done at least like three or four of the movies that we have reviewed on here. Oh, he also did Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, which we talked about.
1: Oh, yeah. What was his role again? Sorry.
2: He's the uh, sound designer or he, the guy who composed the, the music.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, good stuff.
2: Yeah, he's done, and he's still working today. Well, he, not today because he's dead, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That'll stop he's yeah. still working today, even though he's dead. <laughs> he also did Deep Rising. Oh, yeah, yeah. That wonderful. Have I see. Now, what was that
1: one about? Is that a Better Shark? Or what's that?
0: That's not about Deep a shark. Deep Rising. Yeah, it's like tube worms that attack a carnival cruise ship or some shit.
2: No, Deep Rising. So would you like to watch a movie with me with your hand down my pants?
0: <laughs> we'll find out what these guys think about think about the burbs after these messages. If you'd like to contact us here at the Horror Explorer Podcast, you can reach us via email at horrorexplorerpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Or you can interact with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com
3: slash Horror Explorer. And you can follow us on our Twitter account, at Horror Explorer.
0: All right, we're back. And as usual, we're going to start with Critical Dave. Let's hear it, Dave.
2: Okay, so this movie, I was taken aback by this movie almost immediately because of how well-constructed it was on a technical level. So I I know I'm going to try to stray away from being technical in these discussions, but everything about this movie is the only way to describe it would be precise. Everything is very, very, very precise and very well-organized. Like every little thing in the movie is constructed and ordered in a way that makes sense and works well for the movie for example the opening one of the opening shots is when tom hanks steps outside of his house and we follow him until he like walks in front of the neighbor's house who is like whose house is going through all these weird noises and stuff and the camera movement is just incredible it's fantastic there's So many great shots in this film that are very visually interesting. And that's what kept me engaged throughout most of the film.
0: Like uh, what I really liked is right off the get go, you know, you got the universal logo at the beginning with the planet and it just zooms in straight from the studio logo in down into the earth, into the neighborhood that this is all taking place in. And I think that's a signal early on that there's going to be a lot of attention to detail and they were going to pay attention to the camera work and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, then think that was supposed to be like, oh, aliens like coming down and then aliens in your backyard sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's what I took from that.
2: Perhaps. Yeah. But it's not just the camera work. It's also like the sound design and lighting, because the sound design, although it's a, quite blunt, it's very precise, like every sound in the film is layered and has a lot of what's the word emotional impact or like tonal significance for example whenever we see someone from the supposedly haunted house we get like a horror sting like a creepy piano noise or something along those lines and Sometimes it's not even blatant. For example, in a later scene, we get a Tom Hanks just looking at the house, and instead of a horror sting, we get a ton of dogs barking, To and what triggered the dogs barking is the Killer guy opening the window and looking outside and then the dogs start barking after the window opens to suggest that this guy is what caused the dogs to bark and creating a sense of danger or something wrong because of the stereotype that like animals are able to sense danger. Or I don't know if stereotype is the correct word, but
0: I'll, I'll leave well, it. Well, do you notice oh, okay. You notice how uh like the characters, some of them have like a theme music? Yes. Yeah. Like, with I really like that, like, Tom Hanks' character, Ray, he's got this cowboy hero music. The military guy has that little military thing, like, from Patton or whatever. Yeah, they play, like, a right of... On them. Yeah, they play, like, a bar of Patton
3: every time they... Like, even before you actually know who his character is, they're doing that, so that's already building him up in your mind, you know, and, so like, everybody has their little, like, bar of
2: music that goes with their character, and the scoring was really well done in that, in that sense. Also something else what is the blocking, which is how the actors move around on screen. It was all very, very well done because i take, for example, the scene when Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher and their son are sitting in the kitchen having breakfast. We always see all three of them in frame and the actors move with the camera, even though – and they don't motivate the camera movement, but they always stay within frame to – as so we see all of their reactions in the foreground, midground and background. So it's just very precise little details like that that – made this movie stand out to me. But something else, I actually found it very funny, surprisingly. Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, so for example, each of the characters had their own individual quirks, like the lieutenant, for example, and um, the fat guy who eats a lot, but that, that's not all he does. But I found all of the characters, it reminded me a lot of Tremors. Did
0: anybody else get that
2: vibe?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I didn't relate to the Tremors right away, but, I mean, there is definitely a here's a group of people and it's going to be about these characters and how they interact, Mm -hmm. which is similar to Tremors kind of formulaically.
1: It was very much like a character comedy, like the way they're all introduced as well. They come out on their porch and it's like the low shot. I, I, I thought that that was, you know, gives a good indication of the sort of characters they are as well. And then, yeah, very comedic
2: also something else that adds to the comedy is the style of the film itself because at one point they're watching Tom Hanks build up the courage to go talk to the neighbor guy and we get a lot of like ooh, a t- t- typical trope in westerns is a lot of zoom ins to people's eyes during like a showdown or a shootout so we get a lot of zoom ins to literally everyone in the neighborhood as they watch Tom Hanks go up to talk to the neighbor guy who may or may not be a killer or something. And we even get a zoom in to the dog. So it's stuff like that. That's I found really funny. I don't know if anybody else found that amusing, but
1: Definitely. One of my favorite bits, I laughed so much, was the bit where um, uh, Art and the Colonel guy are begging Carol to let Tom Hanks come out and play, basically. And she's been really stern, saying he's not allowed to come out. And they kick the ground and put their hands in their pockets, like forlorn little kids. Oh, man, I found that so funny.
0: Yeah, that was great. I laughed out loud at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely
3: almost some, like, Looney Tunes moments in the movie, but... Even when it's like being really heavy-handed with the comedy, like it, it is genuinely heartfelt, so it
0: feels oh, funny and it is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't have to shy away from the more cornball kind of humor or the more cookie-cutter kind of humor because the, the actors are of a high enough quality that they can really pull it off and make it funny.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's, it has its whimsical moments, but I think it all ties together very well. Like, none of the comedy seems just there for the sake of the comedy it all serves the narrative which is an essential component in comedy films and that's the way most comedy films nowadays fail because they just have like jokes happen and then the narrative is built around the jokes which results in a terrible narrative here it feels like the jokes arise from the situations the characters find themselves in
0: yeah i would say that's absolutely true yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's like an assortment of little moments that kind of string together instead of larger. Like the comedy comes from these these moments here and there instead of from like a larger plot device. Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes the comedy was so much like some of it was kind of slapstick, like art falling over the fence and that kind of thing. I almost yeah. found like the comedy sometimes. Overwhelmed the thriller Aspects and I like I would Definitely consider this funnier than say Beetlejuice which I think is also supposed to be like A horror comedy yeah. sort of thing I, I, I would Yeah I would say this is a comedy above a thriller Like more than
0: Oh absolutely yeah This is yeah. a comedy with horror or thriller Elements yeah
2: yeah yes. we've Selected it because it parodies horror Elements in a specific ways Yeah and we're like not Having the dogs die in the film You see dogs all over the place, and you expect them to die, but none die.
3: Precious!
2: Yeah, but speaking of the dogs at one point in the film that I found particularly amusing because it's just such a bizarre stylistic choice was when Tom Hanks and the fat guy, they find a bone and then they look and look into like the killer's yard or whatever and they're like, oh no, this confirms that Walter, their friend who went missing, was killed by this family next door. So then they start screaming and they're like, this is Walter and they're screaming, this is Walter as they're holding up the femur. And then there's really bizarre snap zooms in and snap zooms out but in the same
0: shot did anybody else notice that
1: yeah Yeah. absolutely
0: that's like one of the signature scenes of the movie right there oh really yeah you know it's it's it kind of reminds me like you know, I've seen it parodied before, like the way they used to do it in 3D three old sci-fi movies and stuff like that where the camera zooms in and out at a certain point on someone's face because of their reaction or because something scary happened or something like that. It's kind of like that's a more direct parody moment than anything in the movie.
3: Yeah, I would agree. Like, it's almost calling out that trope that you do see of those,
2: like, crazy zooms in cheesy horror movies. Mm-hmm. Also, something that's something that is interesting is with the group of the suburban friends and the foreign household, everyone is super xenophobic. So that leads to some interesting interactions and lots of interesting lines of dialogue that are humorous. The dialogue stood <laughs> yeah. out to me as positive.
1: Yeah, like when they keep trying to figure out if they're Slavic.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And his response to that, you know, you wonder what, you know, if they were supposed to be Nazis or something like that, because he calls them Herr Klopek and stuff like that, because his response to, are you Slavic, is just no.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what does he say? It's like, oh, you're about a nine out of 10 on the tension scale there, friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of good like one liners and stuff to cap off a scene where it's just real quick and it's really funny and it's well delivered just like that.
2: Yeah. For example, at the their very end, the kid, Corey Feldman, goes up to the fat guy and is like, oh, my gosh, your house is on fire and your wife's home. And then we see a close up of the fat guy and he's like, oh, no, my wife's home. And it's- yeah.
1: <laughs> that same character as well, when they're doing the the chanting, when he's like to Tom Hanks, you're chanting and he stops chanting and he ends with Satan's my pal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah he's got his he's got his fingers in his ears chanting that he can't hear him he's like you're chanting and he starts chanting along with him and then if you notice in the dream sequence when he's being barbecued on a giant grill by the neighbors there are in his nightmare all the satanic worshipers around there are chanting that exact th- exact thing it's, it's like so Satan funny. is good satan is great satan is our pal it's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> See, i love that i was actually just about to talk about that in regard to
2: the reincorporation because Everything is reincorporated very, very well in this movie. But one negative I have about this movie is it has much more product placement than other films we've seen.
0: It did not stand out to me at all. Yeah, I didn't even
2: notice. Well, there are at least four instances of people just having various products on their lap or like eating or. For example, when they're going through the neighbor's trash to determine if the neighbor hid the body of their friend in the trash, they empty the trash and a Tide box falls out. And that's the only noticeable branded object that falls out. So it's
0: moments well, like it – makes- I'm, I'm not going to write that up to the product place, but I mean, that makes for very colorful trash. If you've seen a Tide box, it's colorful, it's familiar, and it kind of helps bring the viewer into the, the accept, suspension of disbelief and accepting this is reality. Like, you know, you can't just use great value or made-up generic brands when you do stuff like this. I mean, there's going to be name-brand stuff in a well-made movie, even if it's not intentional to try to sell a product. I don't think they're trying to get anyone to buy Tide. No, I I think they were, because I'll have to argue with you on that one,
2: because the rest of the trash was all very like gray and dull and nonspecific papers and whatnot. The only thing that stood out as colorful was the Tide box. And that's not the only instance of product placement, because at one point somebody has a bunch of crackers on their lap and they're just sitting there eating the crap. The military man has a bunch of crackers on his lap and he's just eating them and the logo or the brand or
0: whatever is facing the camera directly so it's- and that's important because if you want to argue that's showing that he's like i call him the paramilitary man child like he's ah. getting off on playing with walkie-talkies and stuff like that like a kid and they're animal crackers animal crackers are something you associate with kids i guarantee you that was a cup of milk he had and if you look at the cup he had it's even kind of like a child's cup
1: mm. In terms of the know. Tide thing, I doubt they would have, like, paid for that. Is that good advertising for Tide? Like, is it your dead friend? No, it's Tide. <laughs> Buy some.
2: Any advertising is good advertising because what it is is it's so subtle, it's very difficult to notice. So you are thinking about it even though you're not actually thinking about it. He's not going to give up.
1: No, I'm <laughs> not. <but>
2: I'm <laughs> The product placement is not a major issue. It's just something I thought I would point out. Because normally the movies we watch are so obscure and low budget that there's almost no product placement. So that's why it stood out in this movie. Because this right, movie seemed to have a lot right. higher production value than the average movie we watch here. It was much closer to, say, Poltergeist than House, I suppose. But... Overall, I really liked the film. I think the style all works really well together, and all the performances are fantastic, even though not all of the jokes land. Enough of the jokes are funny to make it worthwhile, and all of the characters feel like characters. They all are fleshed out and have their unique individual quirks, and there's a bit of a political message, like, it's not us, it's them, somebody says at one point,
0: and yeah, that's Ray's big rant at the end that kind of ties it all together and kind of gives you the, the what they were kind of maybe going for. I don't think this movie's trying to be too deep and really deliver a message, but there's still one there, and they're aware of it. And mm-hmm. it's he's talking about, you know, they're not the ones that are weird. We're the ones that are weird. You know, they're we're not the ones that are uh, normal. They're the ones that are normal. Look at what we're doing. And it's kind of calling out the xenophobia that was present in the eight. I mean, it's still present now, obviously, if you look at the modern political climate and stuff. But, I mean… Back then, it was a much more insidious thing. I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I, I would argue that that's the same point that the movie's making. But anyway, so my overall out of ten rating is an eight out of ten. So I really liked it. Uh, check it out, I suppose.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's two in a row that you actually dug. Yeah. So moving right along, Jordan.
3: Yeah, there's a few things I wanted to mention. Um, first, I think. <laughs> first I think all the uh, acting is great in this um, the chemistry between the actors is exceptional especially between like Tom Hanks and uh, the neighbor who's his like buddy you know exactly. And they're always running around together they just have such great chemistry on screen together and actually Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher I think their
0: chemistry as a couple is just perfect in this too yeah um, They really do a good job showcasing the closer relationships, like the husband and wife with uh, Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks, like you said, and Ray and Art's relationship, too. I mean, they don't do a good job using Bruce Dern and his wife. That's like an odd couple that doesn't make sense, really. You know, it's like she's the only uh, eye candy that's in the movie, which is fine. I'm glad they didn't go that direction. Or with Corey Feldman's character, he was just kind of there to embody the audience or something like that. But what they did with, with Carrie Fisher and Art and Ray and all that, that was really well done. It really added a lot of depth to the movie.
2: And what's really important there is the way they did it through dialogue instead of exposition. It's all natural conversation. It never feels forced. Like it's never like they never use signpost dialogue. Like Carrie Fisher's never like, I love you, Tom Hanks and stuff like that.
0: Everything. Yeah, it it felt like they were a real married couple and it felt like Ray and Art were real friends.
3: Yep. Uh, I also uh, I also really liked liked that this movie all takes place like in one very small location like this this could almost have been like a stage a stage production except for you know some of the bigger stunts that they do because it all takes place on you know like in one very small condensed location they're not jumping around a lot and i think that's uh, a little bit unique and for film and it's uh, very well done i think it adds a lot in this movie
0: yeah, I like how they walled it off. I mean, even in the outside shots, you don't see an intersection. What's the, you know, apart from at the beginning, we're zooming in from outer space. Uh, you know, you never you just see people arrive into the neighborhood. It ends in a cul-de-sac. That's where Walter's house is, I believe. Uh, it it kind of walls it off and it makes its own little world like that.
3: Yeah, I loved the set designs as well. The spooky house is actually pretty Mm -hmm. spooky, Um, and it's very – all the houses are very iconic and easy to recognize, Um, so they did a great job on all that.
0: Um, I like how it stands out so much, too, that all the houses are perfect lawn, perfect this, perfect that, and then you've got this one really rundown spooky house with a dead lawn, dead trees, busted up fence, porch, and stuff like that. It was done so well. The set design's great. It's supposed to be
1: a month, though, isn't it? They've lived there for a month, and the house is completely dilapidated.
2: Well, the previous neighbors were dead, so.
1: Oh, that's true. Spoilers. (laughs) Uh,
3: There's also some great, yeah, slapstick scenes. We talked about that a little bit. Um, There were some really good effects for, like, when Art uh, electrocutes himself and, like, falls off into the...
0: Roof of this shed, and like there's some really good effects for that scene. Uh, I love how they called back to it later too when they're trying to break into the house and he's going to use his credit card and he pulls out the wallet, and, like the credit cards and shit are all melted and everything.
2: Yeah. 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 It's so nice to see something like that. It's so refreshing because nowadays you get a joke in a comedy film and then that's it. The joke is done. No callback to it, no nothing. And it's stuff like that that makes this movie stand out because callbacks are very important because their way to get a lot of humor from a film especially a comedy film it's another aspect of reincorporation and most films don't think beyond the moment and i think that's something that this film does really well
0: yep i agree
2: yeah i'd agree with you there uh Tom Hanks
3: again. I just gotta point it out again. I, I'm a big fan of his. I like most of his stuff, but he was exceptional in this. Uh, he especially has a scene towards the end where he's like ranting and raving like a madman, pointing out, you know, we're the ones who are wrong and uh, they're the ones who are right. Mike mentioned that, and but I just think the acting in that scene is superb. Um, he really does seem like he's just completely gone over the edge, and it's coming from the
0: heart and uh so yeah i really liked that as well yeah just like the scene where he's trying to recover from that nightmare and they come up to his house and let him know that they slipped a note under their door and of course they're gonna think that tom hanks did it and he just gets so fed up and he stands up and he, he does it's not even a rant he just throws a fit like he just doesn't he's at he's at his wit's end he's like crushing beer cans and flailing his arms around it's such an authentic frustration it's just so totally believable he pulls it off just perfectly
2: Normally I would dislike the overacting there with the crushing of beer cans, but what made that moment fine for me were the um, bits of dialogue prior to the crushing of the beer cans when he says, what do you want? I'm only trying to get some sleep, but it's his delivery that makes that line stand out. And he repeats that line in a variety of ways. I found that amusing. I don't know if you guys did. Yeah, I thought it was a really funny scene. Works really well.
0: Mm-hmm. It shows his back and forth character arc through the movie, too. It's great because he goes from skeptic to believer to skeptic to believer, back and forth. It's just wonderful.
3: Yeah, he even almost has like some Sherlock Holmes moments where he's really outsmarting, too. <laughs> I find like when he finds the, at one point, he finds the toupee of the missing neighbor and he like stuffs it up his pants real quick, but he's very careful about like subtle misdirection so they don't notice him do it. Well, I guess his misdirection isn't that subtle, but. Uh, you know, you don't really get to see him actually doing it. So, like, he does have some good moments with that, too. So, great character, really well written, and just perfectly executed. Yeah. Um, That's mainly what I wanted to say about it. Uh, I love this film. It's one of the cleaner films that we've ever watched, but it doesn't suffer because of that. And I think it's absolutely a must-watch. It's a travesty that I hadn't seen it until now. And I I agree. yeah, and it's uh, a plus for me. Nine point five out of ten. If you have not seen it, wow. you need to go out and see it immediately. It's so worth it. So entertaining, and I loved it.
0: Awesome, a ringing endorsement. All right, Alicia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, very, very Aussie. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I don't have too much to say. I mean, I, I didn't really know anything about like Joe Dante well I didn't know Joe Dante's name before seeing this. I just but did I had seen the week. Gremlins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We we'd spoken about it then. I looked up his IMDB after this and the Gremlins, um, the segment from the Twilight Zone, the original oh. Twilight Zone movie. I've even seen The Whole, which is two thousand and nine. I don't remember hating that. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that this is his best one. Is that music still plays? off that goddamn music. Um yeah, I know nothing about film theory as you guys are well aware, but I found this movie like clearly very sort of hitchcockian. Um I thought that was pretty impossible to miss all the suspicion and the paranoia. Hitchcockian. Sorry? Hitchcockian. Explain. Well, I guess <laughs> I mean, to be fair, everything I've learned about Hitchcock is from Simpsons parodies, so I might be talking out my ass. But just the I thought the the sort of big tropes, it seems like real window to me in the the yeah, like I said, the suspicion and the paranoia, everyday people going mad and doing silly things that they wouldn't normally do because they think that sort of people in their neighborhood are up to something.
2: So my response to that would be, yeah, I can definitely see it with the voyeurism and whatnot and those elements of this film. But here they're played for laughs rather than tension. And all the tension that's created in this film is artificial and for comedic purposes versus in Hitchcock films when it's supposed to be taken seriously. But stylistically, I can see where the comparison is at.
1: Yeah, so I would consider this a bit of a parody of Hitchcock as well, thinking that someone is up to something and getting clues here and there but never being able to prove it and knowing that the people around you think that you're losing it. That, to me, was the sort of Hitchcockian elements. Like I I haven't actually seen Rear Window, but I've seen the Simpsons episode where Bart breaks his leg and they get a pull. <laughs> so I, I think I know what I'm talking about here.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, it's definitely got its sights set on thrillers. So, I mean, you know, you look at Hitchcock stuff, it's mainly thrillers. You know, you don't see horror from Hitchcock so much as you do thrillers. And it does pick on the thrillers more than anything.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, But, yeah, overall, I really loved all the characters. Um, They were so silly and they fit together so well. They were exceptionally dumb. I thought that that was fantastic. The women, obviously, you know, they've got one sort of vapid sexualized woman and then carrie fish is a bit of a ball breaker and general fun ruiner for a lot of film (laughs) the men are all equally dumb so i i i thought not ricky no yes he is he's crazy which ricky's
0: at least he's not in on it ricky's the teenager that he keeps inviting his friends over to watch this stupid shit going on in his neighborhood yeah yeah
1: Yeah. How old is he supposed to be as well? I thought that he was like 16 and then he was drinking a beer. And in America, that means he's like (laughs) over 21, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I went through the same experience. I was like, he's just he's just like a high school kid. And I was like, why is he pounding a Stroh's with the
1: neighbor? (laughs) Yeah, Standing around smoking a cigar with (laughs) adult men.
2: You were talking about, like, the men and women in this film, and I found it interesting because the women seem to be the the only ones that are making, like, rational decisions throughout the film. Like, they're the ones who are like, hey, let's just go over and talk to the neighbors to see what's up with them, and then that's what they decide to do. Yeah, Yeah, That scene
3: is so great, too, because Carrie Fisher literally says, well, we'll be like five minutes in there and we'll have figured out more than you have in weeks of just guessing. And she's absolutely right, too, because they do get a bunch of clues like um, immediately upon entering the house. But no one else had the, you know, guts to go in there before. So it was (laughs) effective.
1: Yeah. Other than ding dong ditching. It was funny. And. Yeah, I love the wackiness of the ending. Um, that it was kind of like, you know, a red herring at the end. They're like, "Oh, you're wrong," and then, and then after conceding publicly, the doctor decides to just completely spill the beans on his like evil plan in a very cartoon villainesque way. And um, yeah, it was I. at I, the I,
0: end of an episode of Scooby Doo or something.
2: Yeah. i well, give a little bit of description on what happens. What we get is Tom Hanks accidentally blows up the house of the neighbors who he believes are killers. And then he stumbles outside and rants about how wrong he was to think they were killers. And then he goes into an ambulance. And the person who follows him into the ambulance is one of the neighbors. And the neighbor says to Tom Hanks, you have fooled everyone else, but you have not fooled me.
0: Because – Real quick, real quick, that scene where – He's just totally fed up, and it caps off with him going, I just ble- I just got blown up. I feel sick. Take me to a hospital. And he goes over there, and, like, no one does anything immediately, so he just picks up the fucking stretcher and throws it into the back of ambulance, and he dives in on it face down and just lays there utterly defeated. I mean, it was so funny, and it was acted so fucking well. I laughed out loud, which is something I almost never do to a movie.
1: <laughs> Me too. That was the best tantrum ever. And then his wife's like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll see which hospital you're going to. And from the pillow, he muffled, he's like, oh, no. <laughs>
2: yeah but then the doctor talks about how he actually did kill these people and that's what so and because he believes tom hanks already knows and there are a lot of canted angles in this scene which are very traditional like horror devices but every single shot within this ambulance is a canted angle so that emphasizes it's parodying how the use of canted angles in regular horror films Yeah.
0: And spoiler. So what they have done is they've uh, they killed the previous residents. And I guess he's in there to give them a lethal injection because he doesn't believe that the guy really he doesn't believe Tom Hanks, character was truly done pursuing them. He thought that he he was trying to uh, deceive them. So he's like, well, you didn't fool me. And he's trying to give him lethal injection. And then like the son, the the hillbilly looking kid who is the the younger of the foreigners that moved into this house is behind the wheel of the ambulance and they go driving off and they end up crashing into a house while they're fighting and all that. And then you get more of this kind of slapstick humor with the ambulance doors opening up and back and the stretcher coming out and him and, (laughs) you know, Tom Hanks and the, and this doctor, uh, fighting on the stretcher as it goes rolling down the street.
1: And you see Carrie Fisher and I think the, like, police commissioner just sort of, like, casually with, like, a general look of curiosity watching the ambulance steer off the road. And <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Also, something that I hadn't thought about until just now, the the doctor in the Hillbilly family, they killed the old residents so that they could take over that piece of shit house. Like, yeah. if I was going to murder a family, I think I'd pick at least not you know fixer upper personally
0: that's one thing that I think was hastily done in this movie and was done kind of shoddily is, you know, the movie goes back and forth between these people are doing something to they're just regular people and everyone else is mistaken. And it goes back and forth between that for you, the viewer, not knowing which it is leading you one way and the other through the whole movie. And at the end, you know, it they blow up the house. They find out it was a gas line that blew it up. There was nothing special in the basement. And there's an explanation. And then you're like, oh, OK, so these were just asshole neighbors and they caused all this trauma to these people. And then at, you know, you think that's the end. And then you have the scene in the ambulance where they reveal we really did something. And it's really shoddy and hasty the way they decide what they really did that make that made them villains.
2: I still think that's better than saying, oh, the neighbors were wrong the whole time. And I do, too. Yeah, I think it's an improvement over where I thought
0: the ending was going. But I mean, I wish they would have done something better than like what she said, which is just basically here's a plot hole fall into it. Mm hmm.
1: And then, sort of continuing with the plot hole, they bang into the car and the boot pops, and it's full of skulls and bones. Like that, to me, was a little bit wacky. And I mean, needed a yeah,
2: resolution. So I marked the movie down for that, but not by too much.
1: And for
0: for the American listeners, boot is the trunk.
1: Oh right. <laughs> what do you call like car boot sales when you sell things out of the? I do boot you call them sale. trunk sales?
0: What the fuck? When you sell shit out of your trunk, you call that that
1: selling stolen goods. Nobody has car
2: boot sales in in, uh, the United States.
1: Right. OK, clearly that's an Aussie thing. It's like it's not stolen goods um, right now. As I'm as I'm envisioning it, like it sounds so dodgy, like people pull up usually into like a, a school bus like, or, a court guy- or something and pop their boot and you walk around and look in people's boots. It was definitely a big thing in the 90s. Oh, oh they call it a
0: flea yeah, market, right? Well, flea market, yeah, people- you buy little booths and put stuff out. So it's kind of similar. Also,
2: for the American listeners out there, dodgy means sketchy.
1: <laughs> we need like I a translator. Like- <laughs> uh, yeah, so overall, basically, just to wrap it up, I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. It was wacky, but it was great fun. Um, I would give it an 8 out of 10 and an extra half a point for a young, sassy Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. So <laughs> eight and a half. Yeah, fuck it Tom Cruise. Sure it's
0: weird seeing him that young, ain't it? It
2: is. I, like, almost didn't recognize him at first.
1: So fun. I mean, I watch him now as, like, a grown-up, and he's he's so wonderful. I want to be adopted by him, and then watching him in this, and he's so cute. I want to be adopted by him, did you say? Absolutely. I want him to be my father or grandfather, one of the two, Okay, but
0: 30, years ago, but 30 years ago, she has other uses for him. <laughs> <laughs> so wrong. All right, so we're down to me here this movie like i said for the what's good about this movie it's not so much the overarching plot it's all these little moments in it and the characters and how how this all occurs how the characters interact and all of that you know the movie's totally character driven and it's a bunch of stitched together little funny jokes and stuff like that it ends in a plot hole which kind of gives you an idea of how unimportant like the whole plot was when they were writing this they were just trying to find these little moments and i really like that I like the way it uses the music to enhance the characters with their own little theme songs and stuff like that. It's like just a bunch of little stuff in this movie that makes it funny, and that's where it gets its laughs. Uh, It does a great job letting you know exactly what is going on in the movie. You're not ever left guessing or confused, except that you don't know if it's going to go one way or the other. Uh, Are these people up to something, or are the neighbors just fucking nuts? And I like how it follows different characters at different times different times and it just gives you enough information to know exactly as much as they know and it never lets you in on any more than that you don't know anything the characters don't know throughout this movie and you know that there's a mystery here and it's just got these two possible outcomes and it's always ambiguous enough to where you know except for towards the end it tries to start really throwing you curveballs where it's oh, it's definitely going to end this way and then they turn it around but for the most part it's ambiguous enough that you have no solid evidence either way as to what's going on so your mind has to keep working through the whole movie it goes back and forth even with some of the evidence it gives you. Like Walter's toupee confirms something bad's going on and then it confirms something bad isn't going on. It goes back and forth. It's very well written. This is a great solid script and it's a good story even though the humor doesn't really come from that. It comes from these little moments. It's shot very well like me and Dave were discussing earlier. Uh, At the beginning there's a reminiscent Scene from Poltergeist with the bike, the camera Mm -hmm. following the bike into town, all that. Did you know? I'm surprised you didn't bring that up, Dave.
2: I was. I have it written in my notes right here. That's of the second thing I wrote. I think I wrote "cut to bicycle arrow," possibly reference to Poltergeist. However, since the bike wasn't yellow, I didn't think it was substantial enough.
0: (laughs) Give me a break. So I, you know, but I think that's a device they use in a lot of movies to introduce you to a neighborhood. Hey, this could be your neighborhood which thankfully it is not. So, you know, from that scene right up to the end, when you've got this, what I think is a, a wonderful scene where Tom Hanks is ranting and at one point, he's sitting there ranting and you're paying attention to what he's saying, but you can't help but notice that there's a bunch of firefighters and cops rushing around trying to control all this chaos behind him. And they make sure there's enough of that in the frame to where you're getting you're getting both of these things. Like, he's talking about something and you're seeing it unfold behind him, and it's almost like he's unaware, but I thought that was really well done. So the cinematography in this movie is great. The movie's littered with great shots. The way the movie uses music, like we were talking about before, that's another thing I picked up on. It moves the mood back and forth with the music. It does the stuff with the theme music. It moves from adventure music to creepy music. It's always kind of campy the whole time, but it still feels appropriate and it doesn't take you out of the movie.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. The music vaguely reminds me of the opening music to Taurus Trap. I don't know if anybody else got that vibe, but the, like, kind of fun, kind of creepy
0: mix. Yeah, I kind of I kind of see where you're coming from.
2: Yeah, I think the scoring
3: was exceptional in this movie. Like, it definitely really added.
0: Yeah, there was even a couple of scenes in this movie where the Foley work was good. Uh, when he was tamping the trash down into the garbage as the thunder and lightning was cued to make it more sinister. You can kind of hear the squishing of the garbage. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. Yeah, I got new oh, headphones yeah. today, by the way. So that's why I'm starting to pick up on this stuff. And then, uh, you remember the sardine scene? Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Such a disgusting wet noise.
0: Yeah, and for 95% of the population, just seeing someone eat a sardine is disgusting. And you have to watch him eat it and hear the chewing, and it just makes it... Even this movie doesn't aim to disgust people in any way, shape, or form, except in this one scene where it's really, really off-putting and gross watching them eat that sardine. Uh, the acting's great. You know, I can't say enough about Tom Hanks as a comedic actor. I really think this sets the standard for him as a comedic actor. You know, I, everything else he does is to get laughs. I compare to this, and I really think this is the best he's done. His rants and fits are hilarious. Like when he's sitting there contemplating a piece of evidence or an event in the movie, it, it kind of it makes you kind of assume his identity and make the same considerations he is of the possibilities. You know, I really like the way it pulled me in that way. It's authentic feeling from front to back. The guy who plays Art. Did anyone else think, man, this guy could be Dan Aykroyd? Who's yes, Art? The friend. Art is the fat friend who's eating oh, everything okay. in the fridge. Yeah, Doesn't I he was, feel like a Dan Aykroyd? I totally yeah, got yeah. that vibe,
2: yeah. I thought he was also exceptionally cast, and the chemistry just so good. He reminded yeah, me of the fat guy from House for the 1986 Fred Decker film, because in that film it's about an army guy with PTSD in a haunted house who has a fat friend. So it's, it might even be the same actor. I'll look that up.
0: If you look up the synopsis for House, that's probably not what you're going to find as a guy with PTSD and his fat friend. But <laughs> that, yeah, there's a fat guy in that, but that's like some dude from Cheers. <laughs> it's like George Went or something like that. The, anyways, this this dollar store Dan Aykroyd does great. And it almost seems like the part was written for Dan Aykroyd, the way he plays it. It feels like a Dan Aykroyd you know, role. Uh, he even kind of looks and sounds like him. You know, the Clopex all did a good job being creepy. Bruce Dern pulls off the paramilitary man-child role. If you look at it, ever look at this again, just kind of look how he's kind of like a little kid and an adult at the same time, like the Animal Crackers and the Walkie Talkies and some other stuff. I think he really pulls that off, although it is really subtle. Uh, Unfortunately, the one downside to the acting is Corey Haim, who once again plays Corey Haim like he does in every other fucking movie. Sorry, Corey Haim? I'm sorry, Corey Feldman.
2: Yeah, Corey Feldman. I'm not Feldman. the
0: first person to mix those two up, although Corey Haim is dead. I don't know who Corey Haim is, but yeah. He's the other frog brother from – uh no, he's the – in The Lost Boys, he's the youngest son. He's Michael's uh, okay. brother. Okay. That's uh, yeah, Corey Haim, but Corey Feldman's is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Tempting yeah. to edit that, but I guess I'll own that mistake. Yeah, Corey Feldman always plays Corey Feldman. Bordello of Blood, Dream a Little Dream, this movie, he's the same exact character, although younger and less adolescent acting in stand by me
3: yeah oh, you're well. right he does kind of just play that same character but it i think it fits for the film and it uh because his role is more as like almost a narrator i guess it's it doesn't bother me as much maybe
0: no it's it didn't really bother me that much i mean it wasn't super distracting or anything it's just like you know everyone seems to rise to the occasion on this film except Corey Haim or Corey felt yeah, yeah, I apologize I to the family of the late Corey Hain for repeatedly dogging on him, even though he's not in the movie. Another thing I noticed in this movie that we didn't really talk about is it kind of how it shows Ray having two lives, not really Walter Mitty esque, but like he's just got this boring, normal suburban dad kind of life. And then there's this exciting mystery investigator persona that he kind of gets tempted into by his friends. And I really like the way it bounced back and forth between those two things and kind of showed two sides to the character. And I like how the character arc unfolds for his character. Because he goes, he starts out skeptical of stuff, and then he gets sucked into it, and then he sucks himself back out. He's skeptical again, then he gets sucked into it, and then he just goes whole hog, and you think that's the way it's going to take you at the movie. And then at the end, it turns around again, and then it turns around again. It just keeps moving back and forth, and it's not confusing or jarring. It's, It's a very authentic, this is like kind of how a person finds out they're wrong about stuff. It's very believable. It's just like an everyman kind of character. I really liked that. Uh, in a way, this movie uses a similar formula to Family Guy, is another thing I want to talk about. Because it's almost like the movie as a whole is in the background. You've got these little moments. They don't depart completely from the plot, you know, except for a couple times when they get into some of the slapstick stuff. To just they don't just show unrelated events for laughs like Family Guy does. But like they kind of focus on these little jokes here and there to provide all of the humor. There's no big reveal that makes you laugh or anything like that. Everything that's funny is funny just in that that scene right there or in a callback to another scene there's not any big long jokes in this or anything like that and I really like that and that's unusual to see that in a filmed comedy
3: yeah all the humor is very incidental to what else is going on but it all works perfectly
2: It's driving the character interactions in each scene versus um, the humor coming first. A lot of comedy films will write jokes and then write characters around those jokes and may not even have characters. They may have cardboard cutouts instead of characters. So it's refreshing to see something that seems this authentic or natural.
0: And I like how it has a range of comedy. It goes from like stuff that's not typical You know, not something that makes you roll your eyes to stuff that normally would make you roll your eyes. It'll be downright corny at times, and it can do that and still make it funny because of the power of the actors that are there and the good writing. So it gives them a lot of range from like grandpa humor to, you know, what would have been cutting edge humor at the time. I laughed out loud at least six times watching this movie, Uh, and I've seen this before more times than I can count. TV, renting it, seeing it on HBO, whatever. I've seen this movie a lot of times. I still laugh at it, and so I give this movie a very solid 8 out of 10. All right, so that's what we thought about the burbs. I'm glad you guys liked it. Very much.
3: Yeah, I thought it was exceptional.
0: Let's move on to our mailbag. Uh, The mailbag, once again, is empty, but that's okay because we got something better than mail. We've got iTunes ratings and reviews. That's right. We've actually finally gotten some action on our podcast on iTunes. So we have five ratings now, whereas before we had zero. And four of those ratings are five stars, which is great. We have one three-star rating. I kind of want to say fuck you, but I feel like you're being honest. Oh, yeah, and we also got an actual review, like someone wrote a review of the podcast. Awesome show, five stars, by THX10301980. As a fan of B-grade horror, I enjoy this podcast a great deal. That's pretty cool. So, please, if you're listening and you, you are an iTunes user, go to your iTunes, give us a rating, be honest, or just give us five stars, you know, to kind of suck up. And... If you use other podcast platforms, do the same. Give us a review. Give us a rating. You know, we'd like to know about it. And we even got nine months ago, we had a rating on Stitcher. And this review is from a guy named Robert Barron, five out of five stars, titled It's Different. This is a very casual show for people looking for more obscure horror movie discussions. They have introduced me to a couple of movies I have never heard of. Good chemistry with funny hosts. Well, thanks a lot, Robert Barron. So thanks for the ratings and reviews so you guys want to talk about what we're doing next week yeah let's hear it well next week i think i'm gonna make you guys watch the original troll
1: oh yay (laughs) good one i think i saw that when i was a kid and i remember it freaking me the hell out i am very excited to watch this and as i've said to you guys before troll 2 is obviously just a masterpiece film maybe one day
0: Yeah. yeah and you know a lot of people know about how you know, quote unquote, bad troll to is it's not really connected to the original work, but it's kind of there was a documentary about how it's become a cult movie and that just made it more of a cult movie.
1: Yeah, it very much is. It is in no way connected to the original. It's a total pile of shit, but it is hilarious in the same way that The Room is and those kind of someone's called Yeah, The Room
2: yes yes yeah, so that's good kind of film i'm just looking forward to another michael moriarty performance because i've seen troll before but i've never looked i've never been fully engaged in us in it so i might as well see it again
0: well at least he's not the lead in this but i just don't know if he can chill the fuck out and be a normal actor for the 20 minutes that you see him but we're gonna find out
2: i'm
3: excited yeah sounds interesting
0: Alright, well, thanks for joining us. This was the 47th episode of the Horror Explorer Podcast. See you guys later. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. See you. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore.